For all my women out there, I just want you to know that you are a boss. Women have to be at the table for technology and innovation. And if not, we'll simply create our own. Don't feel like you shouldn't be a part of the tech space just because there aren't many women in the room. That's exactly why we need you to be there. Girl, don't forget to rep your set in these tech spaces, AKA rep your culture. You are the face of technology and the face of a future. This quick commercial, guys, is brought to you by Huawei Technologies. Huawei Technologies is a tech firm that develops small to medium-sized websites for businesses. So if you need a website, reach out to Huawei Technologies. They can be reached at wallwaytech.com or shoot them an email at info at wallwaytech.com. Thank you, Huawei Technologies, for sponsoring this episode. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Women in Tech with Ariana. Today, guys, we have a super special guest, Nina Archie. Nina, we are so excited to have you on the show today and to share your story with our listeners. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So, Nina, let's start from the beginning. Where are you originally from and currently based? So, I'm originally from Atlanta, Georgia, and I am currently based in Washington, D.C. Awesome. I am from Atlanta as well, so shout out to all my ATLians that listen to the show. Yes, so there's a lot of people who listen to the show um, who are definitely in Atlanta, so they are definitely going to be excited to hear listen to this episode. So let's talk about your background, Nina. You know, you previously worked as a patent examiner for the USPTO office, the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Um, you were a technology transfer specialist with the National Institute of Health and then became a legislative fellow for the US, U.S. House of Representatives. Can you tell us about your journey? Yes. So um, I basically, uh, like you said, I started off um, as a um patent examiner. Um, I had basically the in the story of me getting into becoming a patent examiner, I want to state and stress this. I knew nothing really about patents and intellectual property until I was about maybe 24 um, years old. So I was in grad graduate school and it just so happened I was working on my thesis and working with my professor at the time. And my professor was actually trying to get a um, patent on some particular software that he was working on uh, as I was working in the in with his company um, at the time. And um, I also had an opportunity to work um, in, a, in a tech transfer office as well and learn a lot about the commercialization of technology also. But this all came, like I said, when I was in graduate school. So um, I want to, you know, just state that my route to um, moving into IP, you know, came really and truly <laughs> after, you know, um, high school, after, you know, my first four years of college, and then entering into graduate school, learning more about um, basically how, again, my professor was trying to patent his technology, as well as, you know, the commercialization process. So, uh, once I, you know, found out about, you know, pat patent examiners, I applied and I was there for eight years. I had an opportunity to basically um, determine the novelty of several different patent applications. Um, I also had an opportunity through um, a small committee um, that they had for examiners to, you know, monitor and track uh, technology as well as intellectual property legislation. And so um, that was kind of um, my first thing of, you know, really understanding how uh, policy and legislation and things like that can impact 
are, are having an impact on technology as well as some of the things that, you know, were going on with the agency at that time. And so um, that is pretty much my gateway into IP as well as, you know, how I started uh, as a patent examiner. Awesome. And so, you know, can you talk, so you, you mentioned a phrase, and I don't know if all of our listeners understand what that is, but you talked about how your experience at grad school um, kind of helped you learn more about the commercialization process, right? And how that is tied into, you know, intellectual property. Can you kind of explain to our listeners, you know, what is commercialization? What is the commercialization process? So basically the commercialization process and how that is linked or related to intellectual property is that is the process of like the technology that you have. So there's two different processes. So um, you have your patent process, um, and then you have your commercialization process. So every inventor may not necessarily want to go the route of actually patenting their idea. They may want to go the route of commercializing their idea. When you commercialize, you're thinking about basically, how do I get this idea to market? You know, this could be a commercially viable product that, you know, anyone, you know, can be using. And so with that being said, there's a process to basically get it from, you know, actual idea into the market in order for people to actually buy it or purchase it, uh, whether it's, you know, basically it can be done in, you know, a couple of different ways. So you may actually, you know, be an inventor and you may actually end up forming a, um, a partnership with a, a federal lab. Um, you also may be able to do it on your own. Um, and a lot of people do that through, you know, of course, venture capital, um, bootstrapping, which is, you know, pretty much your own uh, funding in order to get your uh, get your technology uh, basically uh, into market. And then there's so many other programs such as uh, the National Science Foundation. They have an I-Corps program. Um, but there are just different programs out there, the small business innovation research, as well as the small business technology transfer programs, all of these different grant and government funding programs uh, want to help and facilitate with basically bringing commercially viable products to the market. And so that's pretty much all of the commercialization process. So when people think about, you know, patenting, patenting part is really just more so the protection of your IP, whereas like the commercialization is all about the money. It's really more about, you know, how do I bring, you know, something, um, bring my technology into market and, um, you know, basically I need either funding to do that or, you know, it could be a situation where, you know, you're forming partnerships in order to, uh, you know, basically work with other people that will help you with actually funding the program, um, funding your technology to bring it into market. So Nina, thank you for sharing with our audience, right, about just, you have so many great experiences. Um, you know, when you previously worked for the USPTO office, you know, you, you worked with a lot of patent applications and seeing where founders, um, you know, were coming in to, to try to protect their ideas. You talked about protecting your ideas. You talked about you know, commercializing, the process of commercializing and, and how to, you know, actually get an idea from not just being a cool idea, but how do they bring it to market, right? Um, you know, but you also are the founder and CEO of Innovator Connector. Can you tell me the why behind this company that you launched and, you know, what's the mission and vision? Who are you looking to impact? Okay. So the mission basically is to be an innovative, um, it's an innovative consulting firm 
um, that focuses on clients' projects um, that are involving um, intellectual property, commercialization, government funding, and diversity gap issues. Um, so because I, I formed the company really and truly to be able to be a person that is able to um, connect the dots and work with clients, um, you know, on, you know, possible solutions for, again, the projects that I'm working on um, with those particular subject matter areas. Um, the mission behind it is really and truly, I realized that there isn't a lot of um, awareness as well as visibility on um, those particular things that I'm discussing, which is intellectual property, commercialization, government funding, and diversity uh, gap issues. Um, and so with that being said, I'm a person that wants to be able to create initiatives, um, you know, work with others on, you know, coming up with plans in order to help um, solve some of these issues as well as, you know, how do we basically create change and make um, and become really a person that either increases participation or, you know, is trying to, again, come up with programs and initiatives to help, you know, with, um, you know, the knowledge of intellectual property, you know, the understanding and the uh, the understanding of the patent and commercialization process, um, as well as even again working with small business innovators, speaking with them about you know what's out there, what government funding is out there. Were right. were you aware of the fact that there is small biz there is a small business innovation uh, research program? Are you aware that there is a small business uh, technology transfer you know program? Are you aware of the you know of the you know other grants that are out there um, that can help facilitate with your um, you know with you know commercializing your technology if that is the route that you know that you really want to take and, and move forward with so that is um, that is pretty much you know the mission and who I you know want to impact um, really and truly are you know again people that are under, in underrepresented groups people that are you know economically disadvantaged. Um, you know, those are people that, you know, will be impacted by, you know, a lot of the services that I am providing. You know, Nina, you talked about, and as, as you're talking, I'm just like writing notes. I'm like, okay, she said, this is it. She said, this is good. You know, first off, this is amazing, right? Um, and, and especially since you are focusing on, you know, it, it sounds like bridging the gap, right? Between one community and another, right? And yes. I really want to ask, you know, what, in government funding, right, and applications and contracts and all this good stuff, you know, you talked about the diversity gap, right, and helping bridge the, you know, the connecting from folks who may not have as much opportunity to those who do. You know, what is kind of, I guess, a bit of the history behind that? You know, like, how did this gap begin um, and, and why is it seem like so challenging for certain people to have opportunities around, specifically around intellectual property? Um, so starting with um, just going back and, you know, giving you all a history lesson um, because of the fact that, you know, particularly, you know, people of color in America. So I'll just start with um, African-Americans, um, particularly. Um, we were, of course, property ourselves. So right. you are a slave yourself. You know, you cannot own, you know, property if you're property yourself. So with that being said, you know, we were initially property, you know, ourselves. And so with that being said, once we be we did become free, 
um, there still were laws that were put in place which actually barred African-Americans from actually filing patent applications. Um, as well as when we, I also just, you know, plug in too that there was um, an act at the time um, whereby if you had some intellectual property, you would have to sell your intellectual property or you had an opportunity to sell your intellectual property for your freedom. So again, you know, African-Americans were at a disadvantage even with getting, um, you know, ahead with ownership of intellectual property because of the fact that one, we were once slaves, but even if we wanted to become free, we were selling off, we were doing a bartering trade, you know, type of situation. So it's like, oh, I have this technology or, you know, I have this innovation, I'll have to give it to my slave owner um, in order to become free. So you give your, you know, again, your IP uh, over to someone else. And what does that do for the person that is now free? You know, actually nothing, but, you know, that's just, you know, other than just, you know, giving them their freedom, but they don't have any IP ownership. Um, so that is one uh, thing that, you know, basically is a major issue that I don't think people are aware of. Um, moving down the, you know, history timeline, like I, I said before, once we were granted, you know, access to actually be able to file, you know, patent applications, that was around the time where, of course, we were, African-Americans were set free. Um, however, there was still another obstacle. So at that time, Jim Crow laws were a big, uh, were a big issue. So, you know, I think that African-Americans were focused um, a lot on basically freedom um, and as well as equality. Um, at that time and not focusing on, you know, ownership of IP. Right. Um, Dr. Lisa Cooks goes into great detail about, you know, an extensive research about, you know, those times and, you know, really and truly um, moving into like just the economics of, you know, where we were at that time. You know, we were focused a lot on equality um, is, you know, versus, you know, IP ownership. Another thing I think just generally that I've seen um, through research that I've looked at as well is that I think America, you know, as a whole was focused a lot on, you know, as people would say, 40 acres and a mule. So, you know, you're focused on your land and intellectual property, you know, became something booming a little bit later. So the value of IP, I think has always been there, but it's not necessarily something that, you know, everyone is aware of, as well as being aware of the value of IP and how that can create, you know, wealth for, um, for yourself, as well as, you know, for your communities and so forth. So, you know, just giving you, you know, the history timeline, those are some of the things that, you know, we even as even today um, still struggle with in regards to the knowledge of knowing about, you know, the value of IP ownership, the value of commercializing your technology. Um, you know, even if, you know, you may not go the patent route, there's another route of like, oh, I have this technology, I want to commercialize it, you know, that can create, you know, some form of wealth for me. So, um, and then also just the knowledge of knowing like what IP is and, you know, looking at, you know, your assets in a company. I, I've talked to now even a couple of small business innovators that, you know, just, you know, weren't even thinking about 
you know, where their IP is. Like, oh, this is IP. You know, even their company is IP. Some people, you know, think that they have to, you know, have a major corporation and say, oh, you know, I want to trademark, you know, my company. And that's, you know, you never, you never would have thought that, you know, that could be done early on. You could be an early stage company, um, you know, basically focusing on, you know, what intellectual property um, that can be an asset as well as like how to monetize, you know, your your assets as well as protect them. So, you know, just the awareness of one protection of IP, one of monetizing, you know, your IP or your technology, because it doesn't necessarily have to be just IP. And also just being aware of if you have a company, you know, where where does the IP, you know, where is your IP um, within your company? Um, I also think that the education part is, you know, a, a huge, you know, factor as well, um, you know, with, you know, basically, I know for myself, like I said before, I didn't find out about intellectual property or commercialization until I was about 24 years old. So, you know, that is after the fact that I had gone to elementary, high school, first four years of college, now landing in graduate school and realizing, oh, you know, there's this wonderful world of IP and commercialization that I knew nothing about. And so, you know, I think that, you know, that is also, um, you know, hopefully something that can, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that that can change. So when you talk about, you know, basically trying to, you know, close those, close those diversity gaps, those are the things that, you know, we're speaking on. How do we close the diversity gaps um, with people, you know, becoming knowledgeable about, you know, to programs and initiatives to support, you know, people continuously gaining um, information and the knowledge as well as basically putting forth that when they do form a company or when they do, you know, patent something or when they do commercialize. So that's, does that answer the question? Yeah, that answers it more like that was perfect i love the history lesson as well allowing people to see okay this is where it began and here's how we're actually moving forward and especially around the education piece nina that's so important because a lot of times like you said a lot of times you know people have whole companies out here and don't even understand what part right that they can be protecting or commercializing and this is perfect because you know this is what your company right innovator connector this is what you do so can you tell our uh listeners you know, what are the services that your company offers um, and how are you helping them understand, you know, you know, what's, you know, what is their IP in the first place? So a lot of, so the services that I am offering um, deal a lot with consultations um, with small business innovators on, you know, the intellectual property process. Um, I am not an attorney, so there are certain things that I, you know, am able to do. And then there are certain things that I would refer, you know, a small business innovator to an attorney to do. So, for example, a trademark registration. Um, a lot of things I think, you know, again, small business innovators may not necessarily know about is things that they can do on their own that, you know, basically, with the, of course, with the knowledge of, you know, understanding that, you know, uh, what am I trying to say? With the knowledge of understanding that, yes, you, 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 it is, it is uh, recommended to have an attorney, but if you basically gain the knowledge that you need to know in order at least to get yourself started with a lot of these things, um, that is definitely can be easier 
for, you know, a small business innovator. Um, so, you know, working with small business innovators in regards to providing um, services around intellectual properties, for example, trademark registration is one of them, um, to actual, again, you know, understanding the grant process. So, you know, there again, grants with the Small Business Innovation Research, as well as grant proposals that people submit to federal agencies with small business technology transfer. And a lot of people may not necessarily know the process. They may not necessarily know um, information about, you know, what those grants are, um, as well as not just those grants, but just grants in general. Um, you, you know, what resources are out there for small business innovators? So providing services about, you know, basically, how do you submit, you know, um, what is the process to, again, um, you know, what are the things that, you know, you need to know, or, you know, basically what may be applicable to your particular company um, is another service um, that I'm, that I, you know, basically am offering. Another thing is I work uh, extensively with the commercializer. So we collaborate on a lot of different projects and we work a lot with academia, um, particularly on diversity issues, which is incre increasing participation of making sure that we get applicants um, to actually apply to certain programs um, with certain agencies, um, as well as tech transfer sustainability. So I know some people may not necessarily know what a tech transfer office is. Um, HBCUs, uh, which I should say are historically Black college universities, they um, they are uh, universities that I would say sometimes have lagged behind in the knowledge and the resources and access to uh, to a tech transfer office, as well as some some universities may not even have a direct um, a link with the small business development center, um, which is you know that could be in their area um, that may also provide some of those services as well. Dealing um, when I say services, meaning um, resource, I shouldn't say services, but resources on uh, intellectual property and commercialization. And so, you know, pretty much, you know, the commercializer and I work, you know, a lot together with like, again, how do we come up with these solutions? Um, you know, what type of, you know, programs can we focus on in order to make sure that we're bridging that gap um, with HBCUs um, to gain access and resources um, to, again, you know, anything dealing with intellectual property and commercialization, as well as, again, tech transfer. So just making sure that, you know, um, HBCUs are sustainable, um, you know, in the tech transfer world uh, with the, the education and resources around um, intellectual property and commercialization. That, that is so good. So, oh, and uh, one, one other thing I want to say, um, it, with the diversity uh, gap, uh, I think that recently it has, you know, brought, there has been a lot of attention that has been put on diversity, you know, gap issues from one, for one reason or another. Um, so um, another service that I've been, you know, that I've also offering is basically, you know, speaking with clients and coming up with solutions to bridge that diversity gap. So I'm, you know, currently working with the Internet Education Foundation on, you know, how can we amplify more vo voices um, that are diverse tech tech policy practitioners um, in the tech ecosystem, in, or I should say in the tech policy ecosystem, there are, you know, several different diverse voices, but there's never, um, or there's not necessarily a 
um, concerted or strategic effort in order to like figure out, okay, how can we, you know, basically not just do things by word of mouth, but is there some form of like um, strategic effort that we can now do in order to make sure that um, diverse voices in tech policy are being amplified. So if there's a congressional hearing or if there is a panel discussion, you know, people aren't just, you know, kind of like, you know, asking, you know, word of mouth. It's actually, you know, we have an, a, a strategic initiative that we are actually working on right now in order to make sure that those voices are amplified. That's amazing. And, and Nina, there are a couple of things that you mentioned. One of them um, is, you know, tech transfer. Could you explain to our audience, like, what exactly is that? Because I know you were a technology transfer specialist with the National Institute of Health. So can you kind of explain and break that down? What is tech transfer and how, um, you know, can that be, you know, applied in a more tangible sense? So I know that you said you worked with a lot of historical black colleges and universities. So maybe that's an example. But if you could explain that to our audience. So basically what tech transfer, tech transfer is basically like almost, I would say kind of a hidden gem. Um, There are tech transfer offices within federal government agencies as well as academia. And they are the people, they're they're the office that will basically help with, uh, let's say there's an inventor at a university and they basically now want to, you know, make sure that they go through the patent process um, and the commercialization process. Well, then they would go to their tech transfer office in order to basically help them with either filing the patent application or whatever the steps are for the commercial um, to commercialize their technology, Um, you know, as well as, you know, just kind of really making sure that, you know, those things are intact for the inventors at universities. And the same thing is with federal agencies. There are scientists that work, you know, with federal agencies that are, you know, basically trying to come up with different technologies every day. And so in order to facilitate that process, a tech transfer office is there to facilitate the process of helping with the um, inventors. So Nina, can you tell us about, you know, you worked at the USPTO, right? And you were a patent examiner at the time. I'm curious to know, what are the most common pitfalls that you see inventors um, have when they're filing patent applications and maybe you know let's so that's one but maybe what are the also the common pitfalls that you see with inventors and founders during the commercialization process and what practical advice do you have for them so the pitfalls i, I see with pro se applicants that's what we call um, inventors that are filing independently is really um just the understanding and knowledge surrounded around um basically the patent process as a whole. And, you know, what I mean by that is there, you know, are a lot of different fees that are involved, the off, the office actions that go back and forth between um, basically the um, inventor as well as the patent examiner um, can, can are really and truly about your invention. And so you're really and truly arguing your point as to why your invention is novel. And I think that, you know, an inventor or a pro se applicant, you know, definitely has um, or can have some struggles with, you know, pretty much understanding um, what their, uh, you know, how do I basically argue uh, my point with this particular, with my technology in order to say like, hey, this is novel. Right. Does that make sense? Yes, that does make sense. And And then, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. 
Oh, so I'll tell Cece to cut this part off. Can you also explain what novel means? Oh, and so novelty means like not when someone says an invention is novel, that's the the language that we use as an examiner. Um, that means that it's it's not out there. So you are the first person to ever discover or you know come up with you know a particular invention. So that that's what that's what I mean by novel. Um, and also Nina, so you know you were previously a fellow for the Internet and Policy Foundry, um, with the Internet Education Foundation. Um, what is it that we should know about internet policy? And can you tell us about your work while being a fellow with the Internet Education Foundation? Because some of our listeners may not even know what the Internet Education Foundation is. Um, so basically the Internet Education Foundation, um, they basically focus, they're a nonprofit organization and they want to pretty much focus on, again, resources and initiatives, um, that focus on telecommunications, um, uh, I should say telecommunications policy, uh, intellectual property uh, policy, um, to uh, dealing a lot with internet connectivity. Um, that's a big issue. I think even right now, people probably can now understand that being an issue, meaning that um, there are certain areas, particularly in rural areas or even you know certain um, urban areas, um, that basically lacked lack the the resources and the broadband with in order broadband infrastructure um, in order to have internet connectivity. Um, one particular initiative I know is dealing with um, minority broadband initiatives. So um, that means that HBCUs, for example, their broadband infrastructure, um, especially with everything going virtual virtual right now, internet connectivity is extremely important. So um, you know basically if you don't have internet connectivity, it's like, you know, you may not even be able to, you know, do your homework or, you know, particularly with HBCUs, they're happening to change their business model plans around to a virtual, you know, plan, you know, at the, you know, due to the global pandemic with COVID-19. In order to do that, you know, internet connectivity is is a major, now is a major issue. I mean, it wasn't that it wasn't a major issue before, but now it's almost imperative. Like, okay, you know, like we have a pandemic on our hands, so we definitely, you know, need to make sure that internet connectivity is intact. So that's an example of, you know, a lot of the things that internet education works on. They also focus a lot on, um, you know, again, uh, any type of analysis uh, that focuses on any type of tech policy issues, such as uh, net neutrality um, is one particular issue um, as well. Um, as well as Section 230 that deals with uh, intellectual property um, issues and, you know, um, tech companies and their platforms. So anytime you hear about, like right now in the news, for example, TikTok is a big major issue. Um, And so any type of, you know, things that are dealing with like tech platforms to, uh, again, TikTok, um, another another issue at one point was Huawei. Their tech, their devices were coming, you know, from um, Huawei Technologies, and so America was a little, um, you know, they were trying to figure out basically what can be done about the fact of using these technologies that are coming from a place where there could be, you know, someone is tracking and monitoring. You know, the things that you're using on your devices. So when you think about, you know, tech policy and the Internet education, those are some of the issues that, you know, they pretty much are surrounded around and they're focusing. uh, I'm trying to say they're partnering 
I should say, with, you know, other organizations that also support those initiatives. You know, that that's amazing. And, you know, it's interesting because until I did research on you, I didn't even know what the Internet Education Foundation was. So that's something definitely people need to be, you know, aware of. Do you know um, what are the best ways to kind of plug into, you know, for our listeners to learn more about, you know, topics and stuff that's going on for, I guess, from a federal level with the Internet Education Foundation um, and kind of see what initiatives they're pushing to make sure that it, it's safe. And there was another. So that's one question is how do people stay get connected to that organization? And two, when you talked about, um, you know, the issues of, you know, since COVID, right, like Internet access is so important. And um, I don't I don't think most people really understood um, how many holes there are in internet access probably until COVID happened. But last year I was doing some research um, because I was speaking at Code for America in uh, the National Brigade Congress in Ohio. And, and I was doing some research in my speech about just talking about, you know, equality and, and, and you know, making more technology opportunities access um, to, you know, underrepresented communities. And one thing that I found in my research, and I'm pretty sure you've heard of this before, was or maybe you haven't, I don't know, but in the city of Detroit, I didn't realize that it was like, it was like, I think it was like 45% of folks who lived in the city of Detroit for like the past, I guess, since Detroit was freaking around, didn't, does not have access to, to, to the internet, like to the extra, like they literally have to go to certain areas within the city because a lot of um, telecommunications company don't want to put um, you know, internet access in their in their neighborhood. So they had to start, I think it's called the Detroit Equitable, no, no, the Detroit Internet Equitable Initiative, where they literally have volunteers who are going together and they're, you know, putting in their own fiber optics cables and like creating their little, their own connection. Um, and so I, I didn't understand that there, that was, you know, the lack of internet access was an issue um, until I did research last year for that speech. But now, right, even during COVID, we see, because um, I went to Tuskegee University, which is an HBCU in, in Alabama, and um, I don't even think that they're doing online, I don't know if they're doing online schooling. I think that a lot of HBCUs, they still have students coming in because they just don't have the technology, in, the, the infrastructure. So that's, you know, amazing that you're working with them to kind of get them abreast and on board to, you know, this tech transfer opportunities because it's a, it's a real problem. And most people, I don't think, are aware of it. Yeah. Um, so one of the things I was, I wanted to point out is that um, with, you know, I actually just spoke at an event recently and it was talking about, you know, what are some of the things that, you know, organizations are doing, um, you know, to help with, you know, situations such as uh, the COVID-19 global pandemic. And so one of the things that I know the commercializer and I are working on, you know, quite a bit is virtual tools to help, you know, with, again, people that are happening to change their business models from, like you say, more of an in-person business model to more of a virtual, you know, business model so they can still gain the resources that they need um, during this pandemic. Um, but again, like I said, you know, looking at things from the internet education standpoint, you know, they're big on connectivity and, you know, again, partnering, you know, with different um, organizations and people that support um, internet connectivity, but even if you have these virtual tools, you know, you still have to, you know, again, focus on, you know, how, how do you get 
you know, how do you uh, make sure that you have the internet connectivity in the broadband infrastructure? And I believe that there are certain grants um, that are available um, that people can apply to. I shouldn't say people, but organizations will have to apply to um, or, you know, at least get funding, you know, for um, in regards to helping with the minority uh, broadband initiative as it relates to HBCUs. So I know that that is like, you know, something that is currently going on um, that, you know, people are definitely uh, talking about uh, in the in the tech policy world. So, you know, I just wanted to stress that, you know, on the tech transfer, you know, patent commercialization world, it's more of like, okay, now we can use virtual tools um, to help out, you know, with, you know, some of the things that are going on in order to bridge diversity gaps in order to, you know, again, help people with their business models that are going more from one-on-one or students being in a classroom to now, you know, being virtual. But then, you again, there's this other, you know, obstacle um, of how we solve that issue, which is, you know, making sure that the broadband infrastructure um, in the internet connectivity um, is also a <clears throat> available and accessible. And Nina, you know, with all of your knowledge, um, mistakes and successes over the years, if you could go back to the beginning of your career, what advice would you give yourself? Um, I seem to think that <clears throat> sometimes you have ideas that are ahead of your time mm-hmm. and you don't necessarily know uh, maybe how to deal with those ideas. Yeah. And so I say, you know, to my younger self, um, basically don't, sometimes you may table an idea. Um, you know, it may be ahead of your time, but that doesn't mean that you should doubt or give up on it. It right. just necessarily means that, you know, maybe it just wasn't the right timing, you know, mm-hmm. for whatever that idea um, was or is, I guess I should say. So I, I would say I, I give to my younger self, you know, the the talk about you have an idea and it may be ahead of the game sometimes, but that doesn't mean that you give up on it. Mm-hmm. It just means that, you know, you continuously maybe even work on it um, at that time, or you may even, again, put it on the shelf until the, you know, until the right time comes comes about. That's awesome. And Nina, this is the last question, but what's one tangible thing you can share with our audience today? Um, let's see. You share so uh, much I'm stuff. Like, oh, sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. No, I was, I was saying you've shared so many awesome things. Oh, um, so I would say uh, one of the, you know, tangible thing um, is to definitely uh, check out um, the, you know, great things that the commercializer and I are doing. Um, currently, uh, we are definitely, you know, trying to make sure that, again, we are, you know, creating initiatives, uh, you know, basically doing a lot of things with academia right now to support uh, tech transfer sustainability, um, as well as, you know, um, the, um, what I'm trying to say, as well as my myself, I'm working a lot with um, small business innovators on making sure that they know a lot about, you know, basically the small business innovation research, the small business technology transfer programs that are out there, as well as even right now, there's so much money right now that is being plugged to small business owners in general that are not even coming from, you know, a federal agency that, you know, I think as a result of, again, trying to increase um, and close those diversity gaps that 
small business um, owners may not even be aware of, or they just may not even have the bandwidth um, to wrap their heads around all of the information that is coming at them at one time. So, you know, I would just say, you know, basically, you know, keep a lookout for, you know, the initiatives um, and programming that, you know, um, I'm supporting, um, as well as, you know, all the great things that we're doing over at the commercializer as well. Perfect. And Nina, what's the best way that our listeners can stay in contact with you and follow your content? Sure. So um, I have a um, page called Innovator Connector on Instagram. Um, I've also created a page on Facebook. Um, My business page on there is called Nina Archie, the Innovator Connector. Um, If you want to get in contact with me through Twitter, um, you can uh, basically use my Twitter handle at TweetNinaArchie. Um, my email address is Nina at innovatorconnector.com. Perfect. Nina, it was such a pleasure to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for all of your amazing experience. I know our listeners have learned a lot about commercialization and patents and opportunities for grants with the government. And, you know, your story and your journey is very inspiring. And so I just appreciate you for your time. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely.